And so uh, this morning, I want to read uh, a couple of verses. We're, we're going to just kind of break the text down uh, as we go. I'd like to read maybe verses 1 to 4 as we get started. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. And by the way, anytime you see the word therefore, you always back up and say, What is this therefore? And so it's a reference back to chapter 1 and, and the things that we, we learned the last few weeks. Therefore, in other words, considering all the things that we learned out of chapter 1, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth, against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them, that which do, them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Let me just keep reading. But after thy hardness and impotent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And, and we'll get into the rest of the text as we go. So this morning, Paul is going to make the point, maybe the comparison, if you will, between man's judgment and God's judgment. Man's judgment, and, and we'll get into the notes, point number one, man's judgment, the judgment of man. This is kind of one of those, hey, you know, in our culture, judge not that you be not judged. Okay, well, well God does have some words about us judging. We're not getting into those details this morning, but we are talking about the judgment of man. The judgment of man always begins with comparison. It always begins with comparison, because if you go back and look at verse 1, as Paul writes, he says, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. We just came through Romans chapter 1 where God has revealed his revelation generally to all of mankind, even his eternal power, even as his even as Godhead, so that all of humanity is without excuse. There is a revelation of God in nature. And as we ended chapter 1, there was a long list of sinful things. You know, and if you were to pick it up maybe in verse uh, verse 29, you know, it talks about unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, deceit. You know, it goes through all these sinful behaviors that are a reaction to rejecting God. You know, as mankind, we kind of look at other men and we judge according to that standard. We, we look at each other and, and we judge according to the standard. We like to judge in the place of God. And as we look at other humans, we would say things like this. Well, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank, right? And you know who that is in the blank that's much worse than you, right? Well, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not as bad as this guy. Or, or we would even rationalize our standing before God with statements like this. Well, you know, I hope the good things in my life outweigh the and as long as I can tip the scales in, in God's economy, because I've, I know I've done some bad things, but overall, I'm really a good guy. You just need to get to know me, you know, type thing. You know, man believes that we are generally good, and yet the Bible, especially in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, the Bible is very clear that we are inherently sinful. <laughs> 
there is nothing good about us. We need a Savior. I mean, we are not inherently good. We're inherently against God. And God doesn't grade on a curve like we do. Uh, judgment of man always begins with comparison. And, and you know, at the end of this conversation this morning or this sermon, we'll, we'll see that the best thing that we can do is really judge ourselves and our standing before God. Uh, a lot of times we find guilt, we find shortcoming in other people's lives. That's easy when we look outside of ourselves. God would have us look in the mirror and say, man, uh, there's some things, as he says in Romans chapter 1, that you're doing that's just as equally evil and wicked and sinful as all the rest of humanity. And, and I told you last week that God really puts us all on a level playing field. Man, the gospel of Jesus Christ is just for all sinners, and we're all sinners. And we all need, we all need a Savior. And so our judgment, man's judgment, it always be, begins with comparison. And in our mind, we would judge what we think is right because man likes to be the judge in the place of God. But secondly, what we need to learn this morning is that the judgment of man leads to condemnation. It leads to condemnation. And the condemnation is of ourselves, not the person that we're judging. <laughs> it's not the person that we're judging that's condemned, it's ourselves. Because Romans 2 and verse 1 says, Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest, listen, doest the same things. Now, now turn your halo down a little bit this morning, but have you ever been guilty of judging somebody else based on your standard? And the truth is, in your life, those same things were being committed or had been committed in the past, or you committed them since you judged that person. Of course. Of course. And if we go back to Romans 1, listen again. The unrighteousness, the fornication, the wickedness, the covetousness. Listen, you go through that list of 29 to 31. It's even got disobedient to parents. So any of you that, that grew up in a home with parents that tried to teach you right, you disobeyed them, you're guilty. <laughs> You're guilty. You're all guilty. We're all guilty without understanding. Covenant breakers. Man, listen. It's funny because when we read that list in Romans 1, we would say, man, I know a guy like that. <laughs> I'll work with that guy. That guy's in my family. That guy's sitting across the room in church. Don't look at him right now. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, we, we would judge mankind and say, yep, that's you, you are way more guilty than I am. And yet, the truth is, if we would look inwardly, well, there's not a single one of us that is guiltless on that list. As a matter of fact, of all those sins, we probably committed most, if not all, of those things in our life, right? Uh, man is going to be judged by what he does, and, and we'll, we'll kind of get into the doctrinal component of that and what it means in just a second. But it is interesting that man does have a judgment, and it, it always begins with comparison, but his standard is so low because it's not God's standard that his judgment actually is what condemns himself because it's an outward judgment, not an inward judgment. Uh, and, and so the, the third point, and we're kind of working through this quickly this morning, the third point is we need to talk about the judgment of God, not the judgment of man. And if we go back to the text in verses 2 to 4, what we're going to find is that the judgment of God is different than man's judgment because man's judgment is based on comparison that ends in condemnation. But what we'll see from the Bible is that the judgment of God, listen, is according to truth. God, is only the, God and God alone is only the righteous judge. He alone has the, the criteria and the, the sinlessness to judge according to truth. And so we pick it up in verse 2. And Paul writes and he says, But we are sure that the judgment of God 
is according to truth, here it is, against them which commit such things. And we're all included on that list of people that commit such things, whether we realize it or not. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, oh, and by the way, and doest the same, you do, you do the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? And so there's a couple of principles we want to pull from verses 2 to 4. Uh, number one, the first principle or first key is this. No one will escape God's judgment. And, and again, man, you come into church, uh, you know, you definitely don't, you know, it's, it's two, two Sundays, right, that you, as a guest, you always walk in. They're either talking about tithing or they're talking about judgment, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just kind of that, that way, right? You walk in, ah, oh, man. Okay, we don't, we don't, we're just expositionally going through the passage. Here's where we are on Sunday morning. Nobody likes talking about judgment. We have to understand that God is a righteous judge. He judges according to truth. And God's word tells us that no one's going to escape God's judgment. It would be easy for us to think that we could escape God's judgment when we judge based on our standard. In other words, if I can find a guy that's worse than I am, God will judge him, but God won't judge me right? I mean, God won't judge me because God's got to judge him because he's way worse. He's way worse than me. He did all these things worse than me. No, that's not righteous judgment. That's not judgment according to, to truth. So, so, you know, God tells us in, in John 17, 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the standard is God's word. The standard is Jesus Christ. The standard is the gospel no one will escape God's judgment because God is going to judge based on truth. And if he judges based on truth, the truth is we're all guilty. We're all guilty. And the sooner we come to that realization, I think most of you in this room understand this, the, the, the sooner we come to that realization, the sooner we understand the second principle. Everyone has the opportunity to escape God's judgment through Christ. And that's the second point because in verse 4, he gives us this cool verse, man. Listen, he, he asks the question, do you just, he's talking about this man that judges according to his own righteous judgment instead of God's judgment. Do you despise the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Do you not know that the goodness of God leadeth thee to what? Repentance. And so everyone has the opportunity to escape the judgment of God, but only through Christ. Only through Christ. And so God's goodness in our life, God's forbearance, God's long-suffering is all to bring us to the point of repentance. And if we would judge ourselves, we would realize our own personal need for a Savior. Look, do you know that God doesn't delegate or, or dispense His judgment in our life? God is very gracious, right? So, so I don't know how old you were when you got saved. I was 21 years old. God had long-suffering in my life. God had forbearance in my life. He, he was patient with me. He was long-suffering with me as a sinful man to the point that I realized of who Christ is and his gospel and how it could save me. God extends his goodness and his grace generally to all of humanity. He is long-suffering. And, you know, Matthew 5 and verse 45, here's one example of that. Uh, verse 45 says this, "...that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son..." His son, whose son? God's son. 
the son in heaven or in space, but also his son, right? He makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Do you realize that there is a, a goodness of God that extends to lost man? That, that God's rain, we need some rain, by the way. Have you looked at your grass lately? That 100-degree heat index is kind of killing it right now. I mean, listen, God, God's rain rains on the just and the unjust. God's goodness extends to the good and to the evil. The goodness of God, the forbearance of God, is ultimately to bring us to the realization, and God is good, and I need him. I need him in my life. You know, Peter talks about the long-suffering of God in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Uh, I love this passage. The Bible says in verse 9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering toward us, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I mean, the long-suffering of God, the goodness of God, I mean, listen, God's judgment is according to truth, but his goodness and his forbearance and his long-suffering is what should lead us to repentance. And, and it's interesting that when you study verses 2 to 4, it's singular that those things leadeth thee to repentance. Because as mankind, man, we're always looking at the other guy. We're always looking at somebody else. Uh, this is an individual thing where God wants to lead me personally to a point of repentance. And God wants to lead you personally to a point of repentance. And, and once he does and you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, can I, just want you, can I just maybe help you understand that the repentance shouldn't end at salvation. It should actually continue <laughs> for the rest of your life. Uh, an attitude of repentance toward God. Man, it's all because of his goodness. Now, uh, point number four, and I know you think we're done yet, but we're not done yet. We've got like three pages of notes left. <laughs> you say, man, you need to not give us notes more often. You go faster. No. <laughs> The judgment of God is according to truth because God's going to judge us according to his word, his standard, the standard of Jesus Christ. No one can escape God's judgment. We're all guilty, but we can't escape through Christ because it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. Now, point number four is this. God's judgment or the judgment of God is without partiality. It's without partiality. What that means is God is no respecter of persons. And again... You know, we're studying this in James on Sunday morning in our, in our Sunday school class. Uh, we're studying James, how God is not a respecter of person. And, and people that are respecters of persons, they don't look at people the way God looks at people. God, God sees the even playing field. So I want to show you that the judgment of God is without partiality. Verses 5 to 11, let's pick it up. So it says, it says this, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up to thy, unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation, of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And he's going to give us two different people groups in the next few verses. Verse 7, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, here's what he's going to give them, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, well, here's what they get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, listen, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. 
But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. Here it is. For there is no respect of persons with, with God. Okay, so in those verses, verses 5 to 11, God says, there's a couple of different people groups I want to I define for you. There are those who seek this eternal life, this forbearance of God, his long-suffering. God is going to give those people eternal life. But those who reject the truth of the gospel, God is going to give those people judgment. And God is not a respecter of persons. God isn't a respecter of persons. And he gives you two people groups, the Gentiles and the Jews. Now what's interesting, and, and we'll get into this in just a second, the Gentiles, if you haven't studied your Bible, the Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. Okay, So in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32, the Bible tells you there are only three people groups in the Bible, Jews, Gentiles, and then those that are saved called the, the church in Christ. And so he's just spelling out the difference. Look, just because you're Jewish, it doesn't mean you get special partiality in God's judgment. And just because you're a Gentile and you're ignorant of God's scripture, you didn't get the Old Testament delivered to you, well, that doesn't excuse you from God's judgment. Does that, does that make sense? God's not a respecter of person. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10 real quick. I know i got the verses on the screen, but I want, you to, I want you to turn there. Acts chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius. You guys remember the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? We spent about a year and a half in the book of Acts on Wednesday night, and uh, this is one of the great, um, great stories, certainly, uh, in the book of Acts. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's a man that is responding to the revelation of God that he has. And, and here's what God's word tells us about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Maybe he was the bass player. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people, and he prayed to God always. Here's what you need to know about Cornelius. Listen. He was doing right by the revelation that he had. Okay, so he was devout. He feared God, the Bible says. He even taught his household how to fear God. The Bible says that he gave alms. He gave sustenance. He prayed. But in all of those things, Cornelius was a lost man. He was not saved. He was not a child of God. He was not a Christian. He also was not a Jew. Because God sends a man named Peter, who is a Jew and an apostle, to Cornelius to preach the gospel to him. And so listen, the point is, Cornelius is an example of somebody responding to the, to the revelation of what he has. He has God's creation. He has his conscience. We'll see that in just a second. And when he responds rightly, well, God sends a man to preach the gospel to him. And he receives it because in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, even Peter, Peter kind of shows up and he's like, man, it's really not lawful for me to even be here. I mean, you're a Gentile. I'm a Jew. You're cooking ribs. This is, I'm, I'm struggling because <laughs> that smells really good, <laughs> but I can't eat that. Okay, so, so Peter had to get this understanding that God is not a respecter of person. Verse 34 says this, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God, listen, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person. But in every nation, he, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. 
It doesn't mean that Cornelius worked for his salvation. It does mean that he responded to what revelation he had of God, and because he responded rightly, God sent the gospel to him. And Peter realized, you're a Gentile. Wait a minute. I guess God cares about you too. Yeah. And Peter had to understand that that's what God was doing. And so here's the principle that I want you to get from this this passage, verses 5 to 11. God is not partial. He is no respecter of persons. And and the key principle is this. Let Let me tell you why that we're having this conversation. Because sometimes we would say, well, how can God judge somebody that's not heard the gospel, right? And it's always in deepest, darkest Africa, right? Because that's where people apparently don't hear the gospel, in deepest, darkest Africa, Actually, we have people in the deepest, darkest Africa that are preaching the gospel right now. Uh, And by the way, if you're really convinced that that's a problem, you should go and tell them. If you really believe that. That people people in deepest, darkest Africa need to get get the gospel, you need to go tell them. That's silence. Boy, that's really awkward silence right there. So, So here's what we would reason. If they haven't heard the gospel, God can't judge them and hold them accountable to it. Okay, well, that that creates a little bit of a problem in our Bible because their ignorance does not excuse them from the judgment of God. God is not a respecter of person. Now, they didn't have, if you can take kind of that Jew-Gentile comparison for just a second, man, the Jews had the Scriptures. They had the oracles of God committed to them. They knew God. They had the the, the feast. They had uh, all the offerings and, and the sacrifices. They understood all of that. They had the Ten Commandments. They had all of that. The Gentile nations did not have that. Does that excuse them before God's judgment? The answer is no. Because they still have a general revelation of who God is. Secondly, they also have a conscience. We'll see that in the last point. So Cornelius is an example of a guy who didn't have any access to any of those things, and yet he was still accountable before God. But God saw his heart because he did what was right with what he had, and God sent a man to bring him the gospel. That's how God works. Only God can do that. And so here's the key principle. Look, God will give us what we want. Don't, that's not where the statement ends. So some of you are like, hallelujah, I'm getting a Corvette this week. Okay, no. <laughs> God will give you what you want based on how you respond to the truth that you've received. In other words, Cornelius had responded to the general revelation of who God is. He saw God in creation. He feared God. He prayed. He gave alms. He did everything that he, in his mind, reasoned to do, and God saw his heart, and God sent a man to preach the gospel. He was seeking who is this one true God. Does that make sense? Now, if Cornelius would have rejected that revelation, well, God still would have given him what he wanted. I mean, God gives you what you want. You know that, right? You don't know that? So if you want more of him, he'll give you more of him. If you want to know him, he'll give you that. If you want to know him intimately, if you want to walk with him, he'll give you that. And listen, if you don't, well, he won't give you that. It all depends on what what you do with it. God's not a respecter person. Listen, you know, it's dangerous for any of us in, in church world and church family to think that there are just some people that 
that just get it, man. They got a different walk with God than everybody else, and they can just understand the scriptures better than anybody else. And, and somehow, some way, God just gives them the understanding of the scriptures. And I could never understand that because, because God just gifted them that way. Well, there is a gift in this for pastoring and teaching, teaching, but I just want you to understand if you want to know God's word and you have a right desire and you seek it, you can have it. And if you really don't want to know it, well, you won't. <laughs> Because you won't study and you won't compare scripture with scripture, and it is work, and, and you want. And I know we're talking about saved people in that context, but listen, the point is God will give you what you want. If there are people that respond rightly to his revelation, whether it's general or specific, God will give them what they want based on how they respond. Because God is not a respecter of person. Go to the last passage here in verses 12 to 16, and I want to show you the last part. So, so the judgment of God is certainly not. There is no partiality. There is no partiality. And he's just proven the point that we need, we need a Savior. And if you'll judge rightly according to truth, you'll realize that you need a Savior personally in your own life. The last point is this. The judgment of God is based on the standard of the gospel. Now we're going to look at verses 12 to, to, to to 16 in your Bible, and if you've got your Bible, I do want you to notice, if you will, in verses 12 to 16, after you read verse 12, verse 13 begins with a parenthesis. Can you see that in verse 13? And that parenthesis goes all the way down to the end of verse 15, and then after that parenthesis, there's not a period, the, the thought concludes in verse 16. Can you see that? So the parenthesis is like an additional thought. It's an, it's an additional uh, commentary, if you will, uh, based on what's being said in verse 12 and verse 16. So I put it on the screen, and I'm not writing my own version of the Bible. Please don't assume that. But I am putting it as it is thought out contextually. And we're going to read verses 12 and 16, and we're, we're going to go back and read the parenthesis. Are you okay with that? Will you allow me the, the freedom to do that? Verse 12. For as many have, as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. Okay, so, so he's talking about those people that have never heard God's word, never heard the scripture, never heard the, the Bible, never heard the Ten Commandments. If they've sinned without the law, well, they're still not excused. They're going to perish without the law. And as many as have sinned, listen, in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 16, in the day... When God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So I just want you to understand that the gospel is the basis and the standard of God's judgment. What you need to know about the gospel is that the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it is for our sins. That is why the judgment of God is based on the standard of the gospel, not your standard, not my standard. Does that make sense? Because Christ died for our sin. He died for all of our sins. And so God's judgment is according to the gospel. Now, let's go back and read the parenthesis, and, and then we'll make a few closing remarks and be finished here. So the parenthesis starts in verse 13. And the Bible says, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Stop. Who in the world could keep the law? 
There's only one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Only the doers of the law can be justified. And we're going to talk about why Christ came under the law in just a second. Verse 14. For when the Gentiles, listen, which have not the law, and the law being the scriptures, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, when they don't have the law, but they do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. And, and what he is saying is, these Gentiles that don't even know the scriptures have a, a, a standard of morality, a standard of living that proves they have a conscience. Verse 15, which show that the, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, excusing or excusing one another. And so I put it in your notes, or I put it on the screen like this. I didn't put anything in your notes, actually, today. <laughs> but I did put it on the screen. The Gentile didn't have the Old Testament law, but he did have creation, and he does have a conscience. And you know what's interesting is you have this conversation, and you talk to people, and you know when you try to share the gospel with them, uh, they want to talk about the deepest, darkest parts of Africa that don't have the gospel, you know, and they're worried about that conversation, when in reality, they need to be worried about themselves because they've already received the gospel and just rejected it, right? So I just want you to understand, God's clarification on this is that the Gentile that didn't have the scriptures, well, he still has creation and he still has conscience. He's Cornelius. He is Cornelius. And they do by nature the things that are contained in the law because they have the law of God written in their hearts. And again, you can go anywhere in this world, and, and again, you know, not to get over, overly political on this point, but there's a, there's a moral code universally. You go to any country, any tribe, any village, any place, there is a code of morality. People that steal things get punished. You know, if you steal a man's wife, you get killed. I mean, okay, so wherever you go, generally, there is this encompassing moral code that's not just based on the mores of society. It is based on a law written in the heart of man that knows right from wrong. You okay with that statement? I mean, listen, even if they don't know the scriptures that say don't kill, don't steal, and don't steal your neighbor's wife, even if they don't know that, they know it's wrong. And they have a moral standard that reflects that. They are accountable because, because they show the law of God written on their heart. They have creation, they have conscience. Secondly, you know, the Jew did have the Old Testament law. The nation of Israel, listen, they had God's specific revelation, his written revelation. They also had God's general revelation. And God says, hey, if you have all that, well, that makes you accountable too. <laughs> You're accountable if you have a conscience because God wrote that on your heart. You're accountable if you have a Bible because you'll be judged by that. You'll be judged by that. And so the Gentile, the whole point that Paul is making, I believe, is that the Gentile, without the law, without the scripture, he is not excused from God's judgment. And we can argue in America, in Huntsville, Alabama, what about this situation? What about this situation? What about this scenario? The scenario is what the Bible says. Man has creation. Man has a conscience. You know, that's a long conversation, and it's worth a cup of coffee if any of you want to have it. But, but the point is, the Gentile is still without excuse. The Jew is without excuse because he has the Scripture. 
And you know, he says in that passage that judgment is based on what people do. You've got to be a doer of the law. Well, I'm just telling you, there's only one that could do the law, and his name is Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, the law is what should point us to Christ, right? Paul tells us that plainly in the book of Galatians. You know, and our, th- our thought is, many times as humanity, uh, and again, this just shows you the depravity of man's thinking, if, if somebody has never heard the gospel, God can't hold them accountable to the gospel because they've never heard it. And if God can't judge them, well, God can't judge me either. He just has to understand who I am. This is the way I'm made. No, look, look, <laughs> uh, that's foolish thinking. The second thing I want to say is, and, and I'll, I'll make this point at the end, but I just want to say the gospel ministry is not a, a gospel ministry of condemnation. It's a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, if you think that people ha- that haven't heard the gospel are not accountable to God, when you preach the gospel to them, you make them accountable. You condemn them. Does that make sense? And that is not the ministry. The ministry is not condemnation. The ministry is reconciliation. We're telling them with the gospel that you are already condemned. John chapter 3, let me read it, verse 36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. They're already guilty. And as as we share the gospel with the lost, listen, we can't think that they are safe in their ignorance. God, it is good news that we bring. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can be forgiven because we're all guilty already. That's the point. And, and, and so that's why it's called the good news. Now, now Paul went on in Galatians, three, three instances I'll give you, and he just let us know that in the law, there is no righteousness. Okay, Galatians 2 and verse 21, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, if you can keep that Old Testament law, if you can keep the standard that God required, if you can keep that to perfection, Christ never needed to die for your sin. But the truth is, you can't. And it cannot cannot save you from your sin. Galatians 3 and verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified, not by works, but by what? Faith. So listen, you can't, well, if I just do good enough, man, if my good outweighs my bad, if you've done one bad, the the scales have tipped. (laughs) You can't undo the one bad. James says if you, if you keep the whole law and you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of all of it. Boom, guilty. How do I fix this? You can't. <laughs> you have to come to Christ. That's the point. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. The Bible says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, Jesus Christ, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So, so again, the point is, the standard of God's judgment is the gospel. The gospel ministry isn't a ministry of condemnation. It is a ministry of reconciliation. And you know what the devil would love nothing more for you and me to do? He would love nothing more than for you and me just to stay quiet And in our minds, just think, hey, if I don't tell them, they're not accountable. They're not accountable. Now, the truth is, they're already accountable. And you've got the good news. And we're called to share that. And again, God uses 
those opportunities of how people already respond to what they have in their life, God continues to build upon that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, we'll close with this. I just want to remind you, this is what we're called to do. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, and we would say right there, amen. Thank God that God has made me new in Christ. I'm a new creature my old sinful things in life have passed away. I am a new creature in Christ. And, and a lot of times we stop at verse 17. Verse 18 and 19 are pretty good too. <laughs> I mean, it is. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, listen, and hath given to us, and the us is the new creature. So only the saved people in the room need to listen to what I'm about to say. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. If you are born again, if you are a new creature in Christ, you have the ministry of reconciliation. God gave you that ministry. Here it is. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You know, this morning, we just need to be reminded, God's judgment is according to truth. He is the standard. His word is the standard. The gospel is the standard. We're all guilty <laughs> without excuse. Uh, it's easy to look at each other and say, man, at least I'm not that guy. Well, you are. <laughs> in a different way, you are. It, and it may be different in your life, but whatever your sin is, whatever your unrighteousness it is, it proves the fact that we are all guilty before God. Maybe you grew up in church and you heard the gospel over and over and you heard good preaching over and over. Listen, you're accountable. And maybe you didn't grow up in church and you never had exposure uh, to the gospel and, and maybe you didn't hear sound doctrine and all those different things. Listen, you're still accountable because you had God's creation, you had God's conscience. Your, your conscience that God gave you, you have a, un, a, a law written on your heart to understand that there is a God. Listen, guys, we have to judge ourselves. And, and really the point, the end of this conversation is, if we would judge ourselves, we would realize we need the gospel. Salvation is really taking verse 1, and instead of judging other people, salvation is judging myself and realizing I'm guilty. God save me. That's all it is. I'm guilty. God save me for Jesus' sake, because that's what he did. He died on the cross for my sin. And, and once we realize that, we need to have a heart for the lost. Man, our, our gospel ministry is not a gospel of condemnation. Just like us, the lost are already condemned. We were already condemned. Aren't you thankful for the forbearance and the goodness and the long-suffering of God in your life that worked itself out until you responded to the gospel? Aren't you thankful for that? So let's, let's be thankful for that in the lives of other people. And as God is working that out, let's be there to speak the gospel to them and to share the love of Christ with them. All right, let's pray and, uh, and we'll dismiss. Thank you for being here.